the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the show. It's a brand new week. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and this is The Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your Bible questions, life questions, anything that's on your heart. All you have to do is call us, 210-340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR, numerically at 630-5757. If you want to email a question, you can do that by emailing questions at calvarysa.com, or you can use our free Calvary Chapel mobile app. And remember, if you are driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the Call Now banner at the top of the screen. Everything else is hands-free, and you'll be connected directly to the studio producer. Hope you had a great day in church yesterday. It was um, a great day here. It was Communion Sunday here at Calvary Chapel. Uh, I always loved that. You know, I'm not bragging, but just how important it is to me in, in 26 and a half years. Um, I've never missed a Communion Sunday. I just can't imagine. Uh, we we plan vacations and uh, speaking engagements and anything else around that. Uh, I want to be here with my church family on Communion Sunday, and we had the opportunity to do that yesterday, uh, and uh, I'm so grateful to the Lord for it. Hey, tonight here at Calvary Chapel, we have uh, our men's, women's, and youth Bible studies going on all at 7 o'clock. They start with worship, and then they separate and go to different areas of the church, uh, and that starts at 7. The ladies can, can watch it live stream at calvarysa.com. It's always better to be here for the conversation and stuff that happens afterwards, the questions and answers. Uh, It's a really great time. So that's tonight at 7 o'clock. And you can bring the whole family because there's something for uh, everybody. And, of course, for smaller children, we have child care available as well. Well, let's get to some questions that have been sent while we await your phone calls. Uh, A couple of questions. Um, um, Here's one from somebody from our church anonymously from our email inbox. I love this. Uh, worship at church yesterday was what I imagine heaven will be. So blessed. Now it feels like Christmas. The second best thing you ever did was choose that godly woman you married. Wow. wow. I don't know if the connection with Paula is because Paula was also doing worship yesterday. Uh, Paula was on the worship team. And uh, uh, this this uh, listener is correct. Worship was wonderful yesterday. Um, uh, yesterday, I, we, I sang. I had to empty the building. Uh, but we sang the last song we did was Oh Holy Night. Uh, that or that that sort of officially kicks off our Christmas season here at Calvary Chapel. I says, okay, it's officially Christmas. And that's what this uh, listener is referring to now. It feels like Christmas. But the worship really was great. And I, I, I love it. And um, I don't know if I chose that godly woman or she chose me. All I know is is that uh, I am blessed beyond measure. So thank you for that very, very much. Here is a question from Matthew from our email inbox. 
Uh, hi, Pastor Ron. When you spoke about zeal, and you mentioned that zeal is about giving up everything, can you expound on that response? I really enjoyed that comment. Thank you, Pastor. Um, Matthew, yeah, you know, zeal, we, we, we sometimes think of goosebumps or excitement or, or even volume of voice as, as being zealous. But zealous is about understanding that we owe everything to the Lord. And so when, when I speak about zeal and giving up everything, um, what I'm really saying is that if you're not surrendering everything to the Lord, then you're not being zealous. And I think a lot of times we feel, no, I give this or I'll do that. But literally, we're to give up everything. Jesus said to be my disciple, you must pick up your cross. The cross was an instrument of death. Pick up your cross, deny yourself, and follow me. And the only way that we can really prove that we are zealous, the, the, the way that we demonstrate that we really truly love Jesus, is to trust him with everything that we have. And our problem, Matthew, is that too often if we can't see um, how things are going to work out, or if we can't figure out how something is going to happen, I think we sometimes um, sort of let fear take over. And uh, what we want is for our, our zeal for the Lord to overcome our fear, to overcome our selfishness, and anything else like that. So, um, I mean, in these last days, zeal is really what we've got. We've got the greatest message in the history of the world, and we've got to be zealous enough about the value of that message to share with people. Let me tell a quick story. I've got nobody waiting on the on the phone. So when I was a Christian for six months, um, that's when uh, the Lord called me to be a pastor. Uh, and, and I struggled with it because I didn't know what a pastor did. I, I repeat something I say often here. I wasn't raised in church, so I didn't have any church baggage. So I really didn't know what that meant. I watched some pastors at church. Or I'd watch them on on TV, stuff like that. And so I didn't really know what a real pastor did. But I remember sort of um, inwardly rebelling against that call because I was so zealous for the Lord that I thought, I only want to be involved with people that are as zealous as I am. And I remember telling the Lord that, that I'll answer the call to be a pastor. I really realized I had no choice. But I said, oh, this is the call. But, but Lord, I want a church committed and submitted to you. I don't want to play church. I don't want to have people that just come because that's what Christians do. I want a church committed and submitted to you. And I meant every single person that comes in the church. Now, obviously that was naive and that, that demonstrated my immaturity in the Lord. Um, but at the same time, my heart is something God has honored. And Matthew, uh, God has given us a church where the, the the overwhelming number of people are truly committed and submitted. Now, we've got people that are like hangers-oners and people on the outside looking in. Uh, I'm sure, like every other church, we've got people who say they're Christians but really aren't. But, but a percentage is against the total. We have so many people, so many people who are as committed as I ever was. And I watched that we... Uh, yesterday in church during the, the meet and greet break in our services, um, one lady's hugged me and she, and she said, um, you know, Pastor, on next month, it'll be, we've been here for 20 years. And I thought, 20 years? Where did the time go? And uh, all I could do was humbly thank her. Her and her family have contributed so much and I've been, Matthew, overwhelmed lately with a sense of partnership with so many people. So many people have put their lives on hold to follow Jesus. And they've done it as a result of the word being taught in this church. And the honor and privilege that is, is, I mean, literally, truly overwhelming to me. And yet we have so many people. And I think that's what zeal is. A zealous Christian, Matthew, will be the man who loves his wife the way Christ loved the church. And that won't be dependent on how she's behaving. The zealous man will be a father to his children who doesn't embitter or, or exasperate his children. A man who demonstrates the fruits of the Spirit. 
a man who won't raise his voice in anger at the people that he says he loves. And uh, I, I think our zeal, one of the things I spoke about in our, in, in the, our Bible study yesterday is Jesus was the same in private as he was in public. You know, Jesus, when he healed Peter's mother-in-law, uh, he, he didn't, you know, sort of brush her off because there wasn't, wasn't a big crowd around. Jesus was just as caring and just as focused when there was only one person who needed his touch as he was when there were multitudes of people. And Matthew, I think there's a lot of us, we who are real Christians, going to be in heaven forever. But I just don't think that we're the same. I think we let our guard down in private. I think our homes need to be the place where the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, goodness, and self-control, those fruits have got to be demonstrated and evident to everybody. And it's more important that it happens in our home than it is anywhere else. And so that kind of zeal produces wonderful fruit for the kingdom of God. Matthew, thank you for that. I appreciate the opportunity to talk about that. 340-9585. If you are out of the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. Anonymous says... You've been talking recently about how angry people are. Isn't it possible that our anger is righteous anger? Jesus got angry. I kept that question over from Friday um, because I only had a few minutes to deal with it. And and I I didn't want to to just rush through this one. I think this is so important. I I said on Friday that, that it's really dangerous when any of us Uh, compare our anger with Jesus's righteous anger. And you're right, Jesus got angry. He overturned money changers' tables, and and he had all kinds of things going on. But his anger was holy anger, righteous anger. And what we've got to do is make sure that when we're angry, it's for the right reasons, it's for his glory. And if we'll do that, then we can say, okay, I'm righteously angry. But here's the other thing. When we're righteously angry, we won't sin in our anger. That's really important. In your anger, do not sin, Paul writes the church at Ephesus. But but we sin in our anger and we rationalize our sin. Well, if you hadn't said that or if you hadn't made me do that. And what we've got to do, uh, if we're going to be righteously angry, we've got to be men and women who who simply understand that we're still responsible for our behavior when we are angry. Take a walk, go pray, but don't expose Jesus. We had a pastor's discipleship class on Saturday. Um, we do that every other Saturday here at Calvary Chapel. And um, one of the things I, I said in that pastor's class, and um, um, I, I say this endlessly to my pastors here on staff, but one of the things that I say uh, is that as Jesus' ambassador in your home, uh, at work, wherever it is you go, you don't have a right to have a bad day. You can't just say, well, I'm, I'm so angry today or things are such a bad day and, and use that as an excuse to sin. And Anonymous, the truth is people are very, very angry these days. Uh, if you've been driving on the road, you see how short-tempered people are. Um, you know, it's been in the news how angry people are uh, with the airlines and when they're on airplanes uh, um, flight attendants are being attacked. So these are the things that we've got to understand. And, and, and the only way to deal with people who are angry is to deal with them in grace, with calmness, and with love, in love. If we'll do that, then we can say our anger is righteous anger. But when we sin, we simply can't do it. Thank you. appreciate the question. Let's go to a question from Anonymous from our email inbox. Hi, Pastor. I go to a Pentecostal church and was taken back by a much older visiting pastor who was kissing people on the cheek. And in two instances, he kissed a female on her lips. I know for a fact it was his wife. Apparently, he used to pastor the church a while back. 
And so a lot of people, maybe I'm stuck in my Hispanic culture, but I don't find it appropriate for a man to kiss a woman on the lips. What are your thoughts? Uh, anonymous, I have, I have mixed thoughts here. Um, um, certainly, if, if, in, in, if it offends you, he's certainly out of bounds if he's kissing you and you don't see if you're a woman or a man. Uh, but uh, I, I think um, um, we who, who are pastors especially have to be a little careful in these things, especially in this day and age of COVID. Before I hug people, um, I, I ask, is it okay first? Now, there's a lot of people at church, and here's where I want to really give this, this man the benefit of the doubt. Uh, and I do understand your Hispanic culture. It's been brought up to me. But... Um, our church is a family, and, and I'm sure this pastor views uh, his church as a family as well. And, um, you know, families love each other. And um, um, I just don't think, um, I, I wouldn't ascribe to him nefarious motives at all. Uh, at our church, um, I kiss people and hug them all the time. Uh, many of them male. Um, I, I never kiss somebody uh, or even hug somebody without asking if it's okay first or or unless they first do it for me. But I've got a church full of people that, that are family to me. If my two sons and daughters-in-law walked into the church, now my two sons are, are they're both under 50, but, but they're, they're grown men, um, they would kiss me on the lips. They walk in, that's, that's our normal greeting. Um, uh, there's a lot of people in our church who greet me the same way. Men and women. And believe me, Paula is not jealous at all. Um, uh, there's nothing physical or sexual about it. Um, it's this just what family does. So I would be one who would be prone to give this pastor the benefit of the doubt. And I hope that makes sense to you um, because um, it's family. It's just family. And I, you'd find the same thing here. Believe me, we're not a Pentecostal church, uh, but there's a lot of love here, and the love is absolutely genuine. So if if you are offended by it or taken aback, to use your words, then what I would do is say, just don't participate. But but certainly we don't want to judge somebody else's heart and motives. Uh, if If you feel the need to do that, then perhaps the best thing is to go to him and talk to him and make your your um, um, heart known to him. Tell him you're not trying to judge him, but um, this is the way I was raised, and this take and, and let him explain himself a little bit. And in this case, um, maybe because he'd been away for a while, it was just a genuine demonstration of affection. And again, I want to say that you would see that all the time here at Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Here is a question from Alex from our mobile apps. Hey, Pastor Ron, Mama Paula. Well, Paula, you're listening at home, so you can tell me what your answer is later. What are the biblical directions given for born-again Christians about fasting? Thank you in advance. Alex, a couple of things. There's really no direction given for born-again Christians as fasting. Most of the fasting that we see in the Bible takes place under the Old Covenant. People were fasting, uh, repenting, uh, often wearing sackcloth and ashes, mourning their sin. Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Uh, I think there is an appropriate time for fasting. Alex, the definitive chapter on biblical fasting is Isaiah 58. It's not just about giving up food or giving up something that's fun. Uh, biblical fasting is, is a demonstration to say publicly to the Lord, I'm going to deny my flesh, something my flesh needs, so that I can be closer to you. So most of the references for fasting, almost all of them, in fact, are from the Old Testament. In the New Testament, as born-again Christians, um, fasting is not something that we're told is necessary to do. Uh, I think there are times when fasting is really appropriate. But I don't think that comes from the Bible. I don't think that comes from um, um, heaven. I think it's, it's, it's just humans reaching to God and saying, uh, I want to be closer. Lord, I'm going to deny myself. It's just pushing in a little bit closer. 
Let me tell you, the, the, the few times I've fasted, uh, Alex, um, were, were times when I really needed to hear from the Lord. And I wasn't trying to twist his arm and make him speak to me. But what I was doing was saying, Lord, I need to hear from you so badly. I don't want to make a bad decision that I'm going to deny myself something that, that I want. And I'm just going to do it symbolically. I'm not earning an answer. God doesn't owe me an answer. Um, but I just want to press in. And and frankly, Alex, I'm just not super big on fasting because I think our motives for doing it most of the time are, are not honest motives. I think it's to get something we want instead of to get God's will done. And I think that the legitimate fast would be uh, for the, the believer, the born-again Christian, to say, okay, Jesus, what I want is what you want for me. I have no other request. And I think being in his will is that important. But I don't think there's really any benefit in just going hungry or just giving up something for the sake of saying that I gave up something. And I think there is scarce, sparse biblical direction for born-again Christians and fasting. Don't do it because you feel guilty. Uh, do it because this is a way for you to say, Lord, I want what you want in my life. I hope that makes sense to you. Thank you for the question. Here is a question from Brendan. He says, if, if Adam and Eve were born without, without a sin nature, how could they choose to sin? Well, Brendan, uh, they, they were born without a sin nature. The only two humans ever born without a sin nature. But just like the angels in heaven who were born without a sin nature, um, they were given by God the gift of free will. Um, God didn't want robots to worship him. God wanted people who would make a decision of their own free will. Brendan, every day I say, today, Lord, of my own free will, I choose to serve Jesus. Every day. I want to, I say that out loud. That's sort of a Kickstarter for me. Uh, I, I, I want to emphasize that my free will desires to serve the Lord. Well, God gave us that gift. Now, maybe sometimes we wish we didn't have it because we make the wrong choices with our free will. But the truth is that, that, that to really worship God, it has to be an act of our own volition. And Adam and Eve chose to sin because God, in his wisdom and in his love, allowed them, just like he allowed Lucifer and all of the other angels, he allowed them to make a choice. He showed them his goodness. Everything was perfect, God said. Very good. And, and um, you know, God could have kept them in a little very good, perfect bubble their whole lives. But God said, no, I'm going to give them the right to choose. And, and we know that Adam and Eve made the wrong choice. We know that Lucifer made the wrong choice. He deceived a third of God's angels and they fell with him. So, Again, the, the opportunity to exercise our free will is very important. So uh, that's how they could choose to sin. Um, why we make the wrong choices? Well, those answers to those questions are as individual as we are. Every single one of us, we have our own reasons for choosing the wrong things. So you're right, Brandon, they were born without a sin nature, but given the gift of free will, given the gift of choice, and with the help of Lucifer, believe me, with the help of Lucifer, then um, they made the wrong choice. One other thought, the rest of us, since Adam and Eve, we have a sin nature. And so rebellion comes naturally to us. And since rebellion comes naturally, we actually delight in making the wrong choices. Uh, we were enemies of God before we got saved. So we made the wrong choice. That's a direct result of our sin nature. When Jesus was speaking with Nicodemus, he said that we are all born condemned already. So we look at babies, we think, oh, they're cute, they're precious, they're perfect. No, they're sinners. And they're on their way to hell apart from Jesus Christ. So I hope that answers your question. We got two minutes for this half of the program. Uh, Natalie says, I have a friend who says Christianity is not for her because everyone tries to push it on her and she doesn't like that. What's the best way to approach her? Natalie, the way I would approach her is say, 
um, you ought to thank God for the good friends you have because they don't want you to spend forever in hell. And then be honest with her. Say, you know what? You don't want people to tell you about Jesus because you want to sin and you don't want to feel bad about sinning. And then say, I love you so much. Tough. I'm going to keep telling you about Jesus. And so I think that's the best way to approach her. Uh, don't let her blame others trying to push it on her. Just say, well, those are people that really care about you. Those are people that really love you. And then you can tell her about Jesus to prove your point. So um, uh, that's not an honest response. That's just looking for an excuse not to say yes to Jesus because he or she wants to continue to sin. What you do is you simply say, Jesus, you go get her. And you pray for her or for him. So whatever that is, Natalie, appreciate it. Hey, let me say, and I'm sure they're not listening today, but just because I want to do it, uh, I've got a little bit of time, 30 seconds or so left in the half. Uh, I want to say, God bless you to Alexander and Holly. Congratulations on your marriage yesterday. We are so proud of you, and God bless you, and can't wait to see you and give you a hug again face-to-face. We have 30 minutes left in the Monday show, 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. We'll be back in two minutes. back to the word to stand on for life we're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR now here's pastor ron arbaugh welcome back to the second half of our monday show 340-9585 phones have been quiet and it's a lot more interesting when you get involved here is a question from jeremy pastor ron what does paul mean When he says some are sick and some even died because they took communion in an unworthy manner. Jeremy, communion is really serious. I mean, it's not something we should do lightly. And here's what Paul means speaking to the churches in Corinth. He said that, and again, remember, this was a carnal church. And he said that that some in Corinth have gotten sick and some even have died because they take communion in an unworthy manner, what that means is that they took it either hypocritically or they took it uh, while they were in this sin, unrepentant sin, with no intention of, of, um, of repenting. Um, you know, we come to the Holy Communion table and our hearts are filthy. That's an unworthy manner. You know, Jeremy, every Communion Sunday, I, I tell the church that, that communion is a family celebration. What I mean by that is that if you're not a part of the family of God, not, not the Calvary Chapel family, that has nothing to do with it, but if you're not a part of the family of God, to partake of communion could be an unhealthy thing for you to do. It's like mocking the Lord. And um, I've seen people who... Um, um, They've been sick, and they found out later it was because their heart wasn't right with God. God was trying to get their attention. And I actually believe, Jeremy, and all I can say is generally I believe this to be true, knowing the circumstances. Uh, I know a couple people who who died uh, in the middle of their rebellion against God. And I, I believe with all of my heart they were really Christians. And, and when we come to the table of communion, it's almost like mocking God, spitting in his face. When Jesus actually took the shame of being um, spit upon um, so that we wouldn't be ashamed. Uh, and so what he means is when we're, we're taking an unworthy manner, it's, it's hard to are far from God. Uh, throughout the Old Testament, Jesus talks about Jews who, um, who, who participate in the feasts all of all living in sin. Uh, he said in Isaiah chapter 1, my, your, your new moon festivals and your feasts and celebrations, my soul hates. And he, he, he rebuked them for going through the religious motions uh, all the while living in sin. So that's what Paul means, Jeremy. And um, 
you know, we can't judge people's hearts. We don't know what God knows about people. But I warn the church here that if they are not a born-again Christian, or if they, they are and they're living in willful rebellion against God, uh, it's best for them, it's the safest for them physically not to participate in communion. Now, I tell them that you can get right with God by repenting right now. And that means I'm going to turn away from sin. I'm going to stop doing what I do. Um, I can't tell you, Jeremy, how many times I look out and see people I know are living in sin partaking of communion. And all I can do is pray for them. Well, that's what Paul meant. And he meant it as a very, very stern warning. Thanks for the question, Jeremy. Madeline asks, um, the Holy Spirit gives the gift of tongues, so how can there be an improper use of the gift like when everyone speaks in tongues at the same time? Uh, Madeline, good question. We we had a question last week about tongues, and maybe this is what, what spun off of, of those comments. Um, but the only way, you're right, the Holy Spirit gives the gift of tongues, but tongues, like all the other gifts, can be counterfeited. I mean, even the gift of love. The gift of faith, they can all be counterfeited. And every gift, we have the ability in our flesh to counterfeit. And when you walk into a church and everyone is speaking in tongues at the same time, that's not the Holy Spirit. That's the counterfeit spirit, the, the, the spirit of Antichrist. And, um, and, and, and our flesh is in control rather than the Spirit of God in control. So... He gives a gift of tongues, but remember, people fake it all the time. Um, and, and that's true with all the gifts. Madeline, I just mentioned the gift of faith. I remember going into a, there was a, a, a midweek meeting and I wanted to go. Somebody had been advertising with a lot of publicity. There's going to be a revival in their church and miracles are going to be done. And so I was just interested. I went, we took some of the some men from the church and we went just to see what it was all about. And, and boy, they were talking about faith and the people were shouting and doing all this crazy stuff. And they were taking a whole bunch of offerings during the whole time. The guy I was sitting next to that was from their church, whenever they would pass him, this guy was, hallelujah, praise the Lord. I have faith. I believe. Give everything. And, and I'd watch him open his wallet and he's pulling $1 out at a time so he could put something in the box. That's counterfeit faith. Well, we've all heard the yabba dabba do counterfeit tongues. And and again, we, we should treasure the gift of tongues. I know a lot of people are freaked out by it, but we should treasure the gift of tongues. It is a wonderful, wonderful gift. And I think the problem uh, we, we just fall into is, is, well, everybody's doing it, so we're going to do it. And Madeline, there's a whole bunch of churches who are completely out of control Um because what their practice is, is in contradiction to the instructions of the Word of God. Let me just give you a heads up. We, we've got this buzzing going on in the background. Uh, the microphone is picking it up. There is uh, outside our building, and we don't know where it's coming from. Uh, there's a big water leak. And we're, the microphones are picking it up, so I hear it in my headsets really loud, but I've been listening to it all day long. So just pray that our building doesn't collapse because of, of the water leak. And, and we think it's the whole shopping center, not just, not just our building, but um, we're trying to get somebody out here to take care of it. Here is a question from Pete. He wants my opinion about vaping. Um, Pete, vaping is silly. It's disgusting, it's unhealthy, and it's dangerous. How's that for an opinion? Um, there's no value, there's no reason to do it. Uh, it's demonstrably been proven unhealthy. A lot of people have been hurt by it. Some have even died as a result of doing it. So it's just one of those things, um, Pete, that a, that a Christian shouldn't do or have any part of. So that's my opinion about vaping. And um, we can make excuses and rationalizations if we want to, but, but there's no value in it at all. Uh, all things are permissible, but not all things are beneficial, Paul says. And I think that's the principle. Emily asks, why do some people get healed and some don't? Why, do, why doesn't God keep his promise to heal everyone? Let me start with the last question, Emily. God never promised to heal everyone. 
I think what we get in our church culture is a whole bunch of really bad teaching by faith and prosperity churches that say, by his stripes we are healed, and we name it and claim it, but, but that has nothing to do with physical healing. And these churches that are proliferating the idea here that, that all we do is believe strongly enough uh, and we can be healed, um, we're, we're doing a disservice. So why do some people get healed and some don't, Emily? Who knows? Only God. Why did James, the brother of John, why was he the first of the apostles to be martyred for his faith? Why did his brother John live, the only apostle, live to a ripe old age in his mid-90s? Why did James get hanged and, or he lost his head, rather, and Peter escaped from prison. They were in the same prison. Um, there's no answer to these things. Um, God delivers some. He doesn't deliver others. I think of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego when Nebuchadnezzar was so furious at them. He did the furnace seven times and said, you're going to be thrown in this furnace if you don't bow down and worship me. And basically what he was saying was, see if your God can can uh, save you now. And they said, our God is able to save us, for sure. But even if he doesn't, I still will not bow down and worship you. So, Emily, some people get healed and some don't. You know, on Friday night here at our Friday night service, we, we close in prayer. And the Lord spoke to my heart, just a word of knowledge, said there was power to heal here. And uh, when that happens, I always tell the church, because we, we close our Friday night service. we got some time. Nobody's in a hurry. And people can come up and receive prayer from um, the men and women from our pastor's discipleship class. And some of our pastors, of course, are up there as well. And um, I always tell them, look, if, you're, if, if, if you need physical healing um, and you're willing to say to the Lord, Lord, you heal me and I'll use all my strength for your glory. I think that's a, a test of motive. Then please don't be afraid to come up. There are other people that won't come up because they've asked so many times and, and they haven't been healed and they're just afraid they don't want to be disappointed. Um, and, and I make sure everybody knows it doesn't mean God's going to heal everyone, but it does mean that God is going to heal someone. And it always happens where there are one or two, sometimes a few more who, who get healed. Um, in our pastor's discipleship class on Saturday, following the Friday, one of the, or it was actually in prayer, I think Saturday morning. Um, one of the people in the church, a lady in the church said, um, she's had some serious foot problems. Um, bones and, and and just accidents and injuries. And she said, I got healed last night. And I know somebody who's in the church with cancer who didn't get healed. So there's no answer to the question why. That's just the way it is. That's just the way it is. And we've got to trust the sovereignty of God. We've got to trust the fairness, the justice of God. You know, Emily, as you may, if you've been listening to this program in length of time, I'm visually impaired. And my eyes are getting really, really bad. And uh, and they've been bad. I haven't driven a car in 26 years. But, but beyond that, um, my eyes are getting much, much worse uh, every day. I mean, it's measurably worse. And uh, um, I've prayed. I can't tell you how many, and I mean this literally thousands of people praying for my eyesight every day. Uh, and the Lord has spoken to my heart and said, my grace is sufficient for you. And the indication is he's not going to heal my eyes, but he's there with me. And for me to say, God, why? That's not fair. That's to judge a God who loves me and rescued me from the pit of hell, Emily. So there's no answer to the question why some do and some don't. It's just the will of God. and His grace is always sufficient for that. I know for somebody who's really hurting, that's not really an answer they want to hear. Emily, just so you know, we have a bunch of people in church that are on my prayer list every single day 
who are suffering from really serious physical ailments. And I ask for prayer for them. Um, uh, and they're not getting healed. Uh, one of my elders, one of the literally sweetest, nicest men in the history of the world, and, uh, and Jory Smittick, um, he has cancer. And he's being treated. He hasn't been able to be here because he, his immune system from the treatments are, are down. And, um, you know, he says he feels great, but the, but the cancer, as of now, isn't getting any better. So God's grace is a grace that, that allows him to live a good quality of life, but he hasn't chosen to heal him yet. And so we're praying that God would, would heal him, but, but nobody, least of all Jory or Lisa, would ask, well, why God? So I hope that makes sense to you. Thank you for the question. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. Anonymous says, I know we are saved by grace, but why do we have to work to keep our salvation? Free should be free. <laughs> Anonymous, let me add, free is free. I don't know who told you we have to work to keep our salvation. Writing to the church at Philippi in chapter 2, Paul says, Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. It didn't say to work for your salvation. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. What that means is we have this healthy fear of God and we want to be more like him every single day. So you're right, we're saved by grace, God's unmerited favor. But once saved, then we have to respond, not to, not to be saved or to keep our salvation, but to work out our salvation, Philippians says. In other words, this is the process of sanctification. And, um, you know, for the, 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 the professing Christian who says, well, well, I was saved by grace, and, and if I want to sin, I can sin. Why do I have to deny myself pleasure? Um, that's, that's somebody anonymous who hasn't really met Jesus. Free is free. But when we get saved, when we meet Jesus, he changes us. And I say this all the time here at Calvary Chapel. If you've met Jesus, you're different than you used to be. Some of us are radically different. We all should be radically different, but we're different. And the truth is, the things I wanted to do are the things I loved doing before I met Jesus. After I met him, when I started to do those things again, they just didn't have any attraction to me. They weren't fun. I loved, and I'm not exaggerating, I mean, loved, 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 loved playing poker. I loved going to the racetrack. I loved that kind of acting or action from, from gambling. But you know, after I got saved and I continued to do some of those same things, I realized that Jesus wasn't there with me. And so I stopped doing it. Now, that's not working. It wasn't like I had to work really hard not to do it. I just would rather be with Jesus than, than do something that he wasn't involved in. So that's not working for our salvation, but it's working out our salvation. And again, Anonymous, that is the process the Bible calls sanctification. It is the process of being made more like Jesus every single day. Thank you for the question. Here is a question from Thomas. Uh, he says, uh, Pastor Ron, you've been talking a lot about gratitude and service. Would you talk about the connection between the two? Yeah, Thomas, I can do that. You know, in yesterday's Bible study, we had a good example. Uh, Peter's mother-in-law had a fever, and it wasn't just a, a you know, a 99.8 fever. Um, the Greek is, is literally burning with fire fever. And in the old ancient world, this was the kind of fever that killed people. They didn't have antibiotics. They didn't have medication the way that we do. And, and they would die. And um, Peter touched her. I mean, Jesus touched her. And she got up and immediately began to wait on the people in her house. That's what she does. So she did it because she was grateful. She was touched by Jesus. And her response was grateful service. And service is something that we just do. It's not something we have to purpose in our heart to do. When you meet Jesus, it's something you want to do. In John chapter 13, Jesus washed the feet of his disciples. He didn't have to do it. He did it to demonstrate the importance of serving others, getting the focus off us and on to other people. 
That way the Holy Spirit can move upon us and through us to others, and we can be used by God for his glory. So um, if you've met Jesus and you're grateful, there's no better way to say thank you than saying, okay, Lord, I'm going to go serve other people. You know, in the Gospel of Mark that we're teaching on, um, I think we've just done three studies, um, the Gospel of Mark presents Jesus as a servant. Thomas, all of us, we, we say we want to be more like Jesus. Well, if we really want to be more like Jesus and we're going to follow his example, that's why he washed the feet of the disciples. Not so that we wash feet literally, but that we would serve people. And uh, if you're grateful, there's no other way to show it than serving God. Same thing is true with the question we had a minute ago. We were saved by grace. Why do we have to work to keep it? Uh, if you're if you're grateful, you, you want to stay away from things that you know don't please the Lord. That's not working. That's just the connection between um, really being thankful to the Lord and demonstrating in a, in, in a physical sense, demonstrating how grateful you are. So that's the the, the connection between the two. Uh, it would be hard to convince me, Thomas, and anybody who doesn't serve other people, and I'm talking about in their church, but but not just in their church, at home and other places, um, people that are really grateful, that's simply the response that we have. And because of that response, everybody can see that we're grateful. So I'm going to keep talking a lot about gratitude and service, Thomas, because when we start serving the Lord and when we start focusing on other people, that's when God really begins to do miraculous, marvelous things in us and then through us. Paul wants to know, how is it possible to know for sure that you are a real Christian? Um, Paul, if you are, you know you are. Now, that doesn't mean that you don't have any doubts. Remember, doubts come from a lot of sources, our own insecurities. Uh, doubts come from uh, other people. Um, doubts come from the enemy who's always trying to condemn us. So we have doubts, but it's just one of those things that you know. You just know. You have an inner witness of the Holy Spirit that says you belong to him. Uh, the things that you used to like to do that you knew were wrong, you no longer like to do. Uh, that's that's the born-again birthmark of a real Christian. You know it, Paul, because you love people. You care about people when before most of us never did. Uh, I think the single biggest change in my life after having met Jesus, and for me, this happened very quickly, but I think the single biggest change for me was um, people that before were only tools to be used. Uh, I was a businessman. I wanted good people, and I treated them well, but I didn't do that because I was a good guy. I did that because treating them well made me money. And um, and suddenly when I got saved, I cared about the people. They were no longer just a tool. I really and honestly cared about them and wanted the best for them. And before, I never would have even given it a moment's thought. But having met Jesus, because he cared for them, suddenly there was that love of God that had been poured out into my heart by the Holy Spirit. So you just know that you are. Uh, you'd rather be with Jesus than do some of the things that you used to do. And again, I'm not, not telling you, Paul, to rely on goosebumps or anything else, but this is just one of those things that you know. From the moment I got saved, a little now more than 30 years ago, from that very moment, actually it's almost 31 now, from that very moment, I knew that I was going to heaven. I knew it. And nobody in... All those years has been able to, to talk me out of it, that the enemy can't make me doubt it. I know I'm going to heaven. Why? Because I belong to him, because I'm trusting in him and his finished work. So Paul, other than that, I, let me also say one other thing. Galatians chapter 5, there's two lists of behaviors. Beginning in verse 19, I call it the list of the bad fruit of the flesh. And beginning in verse 22, the, the list of the fruits of the Spirit. And all you have to do is look at those lists, and as you look at those lists, you're going to be able to identify the kind of behavior that you're demonstrating. If your life looks more like the bad fruit of the flesh, 
and maybe you're not saved. But if your life looks more like the fruit of the Spirit, well, that can only be a result of the work of the Holy Spirit in you. So it's real simple. Now, Paul, let me give you one other comment here. If you look at those two lists of behavior and you find that your life is best described or more fully described by the bad fruit of the flesh list, then you can repent right now. Tell Jesus how sorry you are. Ask him for forgiveness. And then ask him to fill you afresh with his Holy Spirit and you too will know to whom you belong. That's really, really important. I got time for one more question. This one is from Brenda. She says, does God hear all prayers from all people? Brenda, the answer is no. God can only hear prayers from those who belong to him, except for one prayer. And that one prayer, Brenda, is, uh, Lord, forgive me a sinner. But every other prayer, and I've had, I'm sure you have as well, Brenda, lots of unbelievers say, I pray all the time. I, I have a relationship with God. But the truth is they really don't because they can't communicate with God. They have no access to God. That's because God will not hear the prayers of someone without the authority, the right to approach him. And that authority, that access is given only through Jesus Christ. So as much as people like to believe that God hears my prayers, he doesn't. Not physically, but you know what I mean. There's just no access. They have no relationship. Prayer is something born from relationship. So, Brenda, thank you for the question. Hey, thanks for tuning in. I pray tomorrow the phones will be busier. You've been listening to the Word to Stand On for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Lord willing, I'll be back tomorrow at 4 o'clock on AM 630, The Word. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.